Welcome to Double Fries No Slaw. This is a pop-up episode. It's tax day. I think everybody's tax day got delayed though anyway, so I don't even think that's relevant. April, I hope so. Because <laughs> we haven't 15th. filed them yet. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're such a kid. April 15th, TJ Pittenger alongside Richie Barnes. Appreciate you guys hanging out. And uh, we've got a fun one. We've got a special guest, ESPN Tallahassee's Jeff Cameron that we'll bring on in just a moment. want to remind you quickly that Double Fries No Slaw is brought to you by Guthrie's in Tallahassee. You can visit both their locations, 1818 West Tennessee Street and 2550 North Monroe. Make sure you get your box, Double Fries No Slaw. But without further ado, we will jump right into this, and we will add the man, Jeff Cameron, on. How's it going, Jeff? Good. Doing well, TJ. Richie, good to be with you guys. Uh, appreciate you inviting me on. I, I love the name of this uh, podcast. Um, I have to give you guys credit because that's that's my time in school, man. That's like 92, 93, 94 going over there, leaving AJ's and rolling into Guthrie's on Tennessee and always got double fries, no slaw. Yeah, absolutely. Who the hell gets the slaw? Who I don't, don't know why know. they have it on the why do you even have it on the menu? You know, yeah, nobody does. We uh we typically ask people, so you you're like the best guest because you just come on. <laughs> talking about it because you get it immediately. But uh, I asked Charlie Ward about this, you know, Hey man, like, do you go, you go get your, you know, gut box, double fries, no song. And he's like, well, TJ to tell you the truth. I'm a vegan. <laughs> I was just yeah. like, Oh, well, great. I just added the greatest player in our program's history. <laughs> like about chicken. He's well, like, was he a vegan? vegan? Was he a vegan in 93? At that point, I just said, like, uh, all right, man, yeah. tell me about the Nebraska game. We're going to punt on all that. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get out of here before I get in trouble. Yeah. So, But, no, we have, we have fun with it. There's enough, like, Unconquered and Spear and everything else that we're like, let's just get wild with, <laughs> with yeah. things. Yeah. Um, so FSU spring game just passed. Spring just wrapped up in football. Um, kind of a unique situation, kind of a cool situation for you. Uh, we had Andy Staples on on Sunday and we chatted with him about the other side, but uh, what did you, have you ever done anything like this? Like, what did you think when FSU reached out to you and said like, Hey, we want you and Gene to, <laughs> to do this and guest coach. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Uh, the way that went down was Mike Norvell called me. Um, you know, obviously I've had just a professional relationship with Mike Norvell and I've had him on my show several times, but we weren't in the habit of calling each other cells and texting or anything. <laughs> and so I got that call and I didn't know the number because I didn't have his cell. I just always went through proper channels, I suppose. And um, so I didn't pick up the phone. And then there was a message. I checked it and it's Coach Norvell. And he was hilarious. I mean, I don't think I'm revealing too much. He's like, Jeff, my name's Mike Norvell. Like I, <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, 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 I know who you are, and uh, talked a few times, and I'm listening to the message, and uh, he wants me to call him back. He's just like, listen, call me back. Um, I have a question for you, something I want you to be involved in. I thought that'd be cool, so I called him back right away, and he's, you know, and we actually just. He was really, really uh, affable. We just had a good conversation. And then he said, listen, the reason I called you is I got this idea that I think it will work for you. It's something you might want to do. I don't know, but I don't want you to feel any pressure. But he was really nice about it. He said, if you wanted to, to be a part of this spring game, I'd like you to be kind of a guest, quote unquote, you know, coach, celebrity coach. And is, is what he, the way he phrased it, along with Gene Deckeroff. Well, I've known Gene for over 20 years. And I remember when I broke into the business, 
just the first time I ever interacted with Gene and how nice he was to me. And I thought, man, how cool is this 20 plus years later to do something with Gene like that would be fun. And plus Coach Norvell is basically telling me we have carte blanche to be on the sidelines for the entirety of the scrimmage, uh, the spring game, that we would be going to dinner at his house the night before, that we would go to the coaches' offices in the war room and we'd go over how they put together game plans and we'd get a sense of the playbook and the pared-down playbook they were going to give us um, and how everything worked. And so, of course, I jumped at it. I was like, hell yeah, I'll do it. And I just, I'll be honest, I was not prepared for how open and honest and transparent they were. I mean, once we committed and once they said, yeah, you're going to be part of this, they really opened the doors. I mean, the night before we had dinner, as I mentioned, at Coach Norvell's house, and I don't say that like some sort of, you know, name drop or anything like that. It's that what they allowed for was amazing. So first of all, you get to his house, and as you can imagine with a coach making what he does, it's a nice house. And so you get to you get to that house and you're kind of looking around and, you know, I was trying not to be a fish out of water because the whole team is there. All of his coaches, of course, his wife and daughter are there. So, you know, you want to be respectful. And then every player is there. And I thought this is amazing to get this kind of access in a different setting where you don't have to worry about kind of following the, the structure of a normal press conference. And part of the problem with a normal press conference is, of course, if you ask a question and then they give you the answer and you have a follow-up, you still have to be very aware that there are 20, maybe 30 other people who want to ask their questions too. So you try not to bogart the whole press conference and you can't really get into a fluid dialogue, kind of a quid pro quo, a give and take. And in this setting, you could just have a conversation. Yeah. And and I was just talking to players um, and you know, I was trying to make it, I wanted them to understand that while I would use that information for context, I certainly wasn't going to roll anybody under the bus and take something that we talked about and stand by Mike Norvell's pool and use it in a way that could hurt him, you know? And so they opened up and we were able to have a lot of dialogue. And then I did that with all the coaches as well. So the whole thing could not have been any cooler. I've never been a part of something like that. I've had the good fortune in, in this career, in my career, to be able to cover things that as a kid, I, you know, I could have never dreamed of or that I did dream of and never really thought possible. But this was unique because this isn't like covering a national championship game or even a Super Bowl. I've done that. I've done the Stanley Cup. I've done cool things like that. This was really just untethered, I mean, uh, access to everything. It was unbelievable. I just walk in and talk to coaches, ask questions, get answers. You can hear the speed of it all. So it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, Andy talked about how he's done a lot of things as well, the um... – was it the Big Ten or the SEC? Somebody let, like let him be an official for a game one time, yeah, but he George, said like this was George did, yeah. He was like this was just like one of the most incredible like behind the scenes. He's like I couldn't believe they took us into the meeting rooms and mm -hmm. you know like he showed us like how he would like script plays and like what he'd be calling yeah, for the first couple. Yeah. And he's like he's like I, I just couldn't believe how open he was with everything and like you said getting to go hang out with him in that intimate of a setting. Cause then it's just personal at that point, right? Like it's not like having him on the show or having him in a press conference or on the sideline. Right? Like it's just, you know, kind of sit back. There's no microphones around, like, you know, get to know him. Yeah. And he, he really had no problems with answering questions and then he would follow up with questions for me. You know, I think he did that with all of us. He wanted to get a sense of how much football, football we knew, not just opinions about who wins and loses games, but kind of how much football do you know? And we, we we talked a little bit about growing up and playing football and when did you fall in love with the sport? And it was cool just to listen to him 
kind of follow up with his own questions. Um, we had we had a good time, and it's really smart of him. It shows you how forward thinking he is at a time where coaches shut down all access to everybody all the time and seemingly get frustrated by the simplest of straightforward questions. Mike Norvell has been the opposite so far. I mean, he you know you go back to last year. And I think juxtaposing these two things is important uh, for the fan base and for anybody paying attention to Florida State football. This was his intent. I don't mean me coaching on the sidelines with other people, but his intent was to let the media in from day one. And we went to the first three practices of spring last year, and we had a lunch over there at the Moore Athletic Center with he and his coaches and players. And he kind of laid out the guidelines for everybody. Hey, listen, you're allowed to come to all these practices. We want you to document and at that time, he was talking about the climb, and he's like, we want you to document it because we're really proud of the work we do. We're really confident that we're going to get this thing turned around, and we want our kids to be uh, you know, highlighted. He, he goes, the only thing I ask of you is you don't report injuries before we have a chance to tell families. So if you're out of practice and somebody gets hurt, you can't go with that right away because they need to contact the family that their son broke his leg or something like that. You know, that makes sense. Sure. And then he said, if you've got any kind of – if you think there's something that you might be controversial or might be something that I would be upset about, just use common sense and call us. I'll call you back and let you know if I think it's okay to do that, to run that story or to, to you know, have that conversation on the air. He understands he can't really control you know, what I say on the air every day, but he does also understand that we're all human beings. The more you let somebody in and open somebody in up to, to who you are, the more apt that person is to use, you know, sort of social norms and to try to be, uh, to treat them as human and not just the subject matter. So I feel like he gets it. I mean, he gets it in a big way because that certainly is not going to hurt him having Andy Staples, a national writer there, Andrea Adelson, who's great. Uh, it certainly doesn't hurt him locally with all the press that's there to know, like, if I really is, if I'm not sure what I should do here, oh, I'll just fucking call him. You know, like that, that, that's pretty cool to be able yeah. to do. Yeah, we we talked. I've that's exactly what I thought too. Like he brought on somebody from the athletic, which is like the newest, hottest thing. E ESPN with Andrea, and then like you and Gene tell the story. Like you, yeah. <laughs> Gene tells the story of of right. Florida State, and you've been that that consistent voice in Tallahassee as well, doing the doing the same thing. So yeah, I was at first I was like, what is like the football account just tweeted it out? Like you were like, what what is going on here? But then to see it kind of like come to fruition was yeah. was really neat. Richie, I'm sorry, I cut you off there, but. <laughs> You're good. So, so Jeff, you know, TJ mentioned we talked to Andy uh, on Sunday on this podcast, and for for a couple of bozos like TJ and myself, we play NCAA 14 still because we don't have a recent game, and we think, yeah. man, how hard can it be to call plays in a college football game? Like I, I'm running up 60 burgers on, on the computer on Eisen mode, but he, Andy said it, he has a much better appreciation for play callers after doing that for you know just a couple series did you feel the same as far as like th this thing's moving in real time but we got live bullets going on right now yeah i concur with andy i think there's no doubt i mean i always had some appreciation for sort of the chaos that i knew went on i've had opportunities to talk with coaches about what a game day experience is like but to hear it in your headphones and it's pretty cool when they come in you know the, the guy that's in charge of uh, making sure that the the headsets are working and and getting them hooked on and making sure everything's working properly. He came over to us uh, pretty, I guess, pretty early on. I guess it was about half of the spring game left. And he said, listen, you know, you got to use these two different channels. When you want to talk, the mic has to be down all the way because it'll click and, and it activates the mic. And you pull it all the way up when you want it off or muted. Um, and he just wants to make sure that you've got a good handle on it. Not you know, it's not exactly rocket science, but you, you need to listen because it's going to be going so fast 
that you can forget one of the steps, switching channels from offense to defense or moving the mic. And the thing is, you can hear every other coach in your headset. So you, I could hear Coach Norvell, I could hear Kenny Dillingham, I could hear Adam Fuller, and I could hear any other assistant that happened to be wearing a headset. So Ron Dugans or Odell, you can hear any of them. And so I do know that in a game, when you're calling plays, a lot of those guys have to be quiet. They only really pipe up if there's uh, something urgent to, to let the play caller or to let the coach know, a personnel grouping, something like that. Uh, perhaps there's something being overlooked they might pipe up, but it's cool when you get ready to call that play and you call that play, then you hear the, the assistant in the box call down to his coaches on the sideline to get this proper, proper personnel. And the thing I realized was it is so much faster than, than when you're just watching it from up in the press box or when you're watching at home on the couch, watching a game, you feel like you have all the time in the world, but because people are constantly subbing in and out and down in distant situations and leverage is changing so quickly, you have to have, uh, a lot of contingency plans. So I think the number one thing is, in your head, let's say you run an outside zone. Now, obviously, coaches will tell you that every play is designed to score if everybody does their part. But conveniently, what's left out there is the defense is also on scholarship. And they're going to try to make a play. And you're not going to win all 11 of your battles in that moment. Somebody's going to get whipped. Somebody's going to make a mistake. Somebody's going to slip. Somebody's going to do something that you really can't anticipate. And so best case scenario, touchdown, most likely, what am I going to get on this outside zone? Four yards, five yards? Okay, what's my call on second and five? What if we get stoned? What if we get hit at the line of scrimmage and it's second and 11? What's my play call? Because I got to go in now because I got to get that personnel grouping in there if I'm subbing and I got to be ready to ride. So pretty interesting. Like you start to think two, three, four plays in advance trying to set things up. And I know everybody talks about a script, and that's fine, but things get off a script quickly. Uh, we had a play design. Uh, I thought it was the right call. Dillingham said in my ear, it's good call, good call. We got this. Basically, it's quick. it was quick game. We're going out into the flats. And it's, I mean, we've, I sound like Jimbo Fisher from back in the day. He used to say everything was out the gate. But we had this set up where if he catches the ball, we go. Everything was blocked up per, per, uh, perfect, uh, perfectly, excuse me. And the kid dropped the ball. So now it's second and 10. And here I was about to raise my hands. And, you know, you just realize, man, I got I to gotta get on the ball here in a hurry. And they were good about getting back to you, too, because if you screwed up or you called a play they thought, eh, I don't like it, they would tell you about it. <laughs> you, you'd hear it. <laughs> so, it was good. It was good. And Jeff, you, you mentioned how it's just an easy click from offense to defense. And uh, I, I'm glad for your sake that both Andy and uh, Andrea – came out and said, yeah, we were listening to their play calls. So if we were coming at them, <laughs> you know, did you know I that had, was going out at the time? And what no, were your thoughts? No. And I, you know, listen, it was fun. But I'm really glad they admitted it as well because <laughs> you feel like an asshole. And a couple of gators, up, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'll give Andy credit. And I'll give Andrea credit, certainly. Uh, I mean, we had – all of us, I think we would admit we had a blast doing this, and we all get along really well. Um, but but I'm walking off the field. We shook hands, and, you know, it's only a few series. So once that touchdown happened uh, on the wheel route, I, the first thing I hear is Mike Norvell in my head saying, oh, that's it, we're going to have to call it, time's up. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. Because <laughs> we, we had just missed a field goal in the previous series. You know, we'd gotten into field goal range. They missed a field goal, 
pretty frustrating, by the way. When you watch a missed field goal as a fan and you, you know, you're like, God damn it, make a field goal. When you call it and you get somebody set up center cut to make a field goal from 38 and they miss it, you really want to say hateful things to that individual. It's unbelievable how coaches have to show this straight. You know, you're like, are you kidding me? Um, but, but anyhow, <laughs> after the game, we shook hands, and Andy leans in. He's like, by the way, I'll let you know a little secret. I heard every one of your plays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was just flipping over when we had the ball to the channel with offense. And, you know, I figured we're going to do this on the up and up, but I shouldn't have assumed as much given uh, given where they went to school. Yeah. So, so, Jeff, on that note, I'm I'm a big fan. I listen to the wildly popular similar headlines every week. <laughs> um, <laughs> and one thing you, you mentioned this week, I don't know if it was on headlines of your show. I listened to both. But Thank you. there's a, there's some colorful language that goes on in the, that coach's head. Oh, it's, awesome. it's not like the uh, Showtime series we had in 2006 when they only played the clean edit cuts. What was your favorite yeah. thing that you might have heard in the headset oh, uh, during that time? Oh, that you yeah. can repeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be careful about that. I heard some good stuff. I, I'll give you, I'll give you two things, and I'll, I'll water them down slightly. Um, one, when we dropped the, 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 the quick pass uh, to, to the wide side, play side, um, when he dropped the ball, I said something, in, in the, forgetting that every coach can hear me, and I said, "MF," you know. And, and as soon as he dropped it, and I look out onto the field, of course, Norvell's out there, and he's smiling ear to ear, and he looks over at me, and he's smiling, and he goes, I've been known to say that. And so it's kind of funny he's just saying that in the mic, like, yeah, that kind of frustration is obviously uh, omnipresent uh, in a football game. But I think the thing that I, I noticed was they coach those kids really hard, so you're going to hear things. I mean, it's a football game. It's, yeah. You know, this is, these are all big boys. They're used to hearing it. They coach those kids hard, and you hear some things where you're like, ooh, that's, that'll hurt your feelings. But then I noticed that within a few minutes, if they're really hard on a kid, I mean, Tate Rodemaker had a tough day, and he was told about it in no uncertain terms. And then later on, of course, there was a meme where you saw uh, Coach Norvell yeah. staring death stare through him. So I, I, could, I watched all that happen. I saw that play out, and I could hear that. And so, you know, that was, that was tough. But – to a man, those coaches will go over to that guy or any of the guys that they're yelling at in the moment a few plays later, and they'll you know slap them on the ass. Go, look, man, you're you're better than that. I expect more from you. You're capable. You know, like they they build them back up. They don't just let it sit there like you know in after those guys and then walk away. And it, I think those guys understand, and that's the bond that I saw more than anything else. And it can sound so cliche, and I wouldn't say it if it, if I hadn't witnessed it. But the, the speech Norvell gave at the end of the game, the one that he gave out at the house, the player's response to those conversations, to that speech, those sentiments, you can tell that there's a level of buy-in that really hasn't been here in a number of years. And that doesn't mean they're going to go win 10 games. It just means they have a chance to be the best version of themselves. Yeah, and I think that's everybody's everybody's concern, right? Like, I mean, we all want to win games, right? Like, we want to go 12-0 this year and every year. But – uh, it's got to start with the. It's got to start with the buy-in. Didn't feel like it was there um, at certain times in the past with different people, and so um, hoping that it's there now. Uh, we'll we'll get to this because that's what a lot of people want to know about. Um, Travis had probably the best spring that he's had. Couldn't have looked better. Um, mm -hmm. And then Milton really shined out on the field on Saturday. So um, 
you have to name a starter or pick anybody just yet. We won't put that on you. But uh, what are your thoughts on these QBs as we uh, wrap up the spring, head into the summer, and then, you know, how do you kind of see things playing out? I think two things about that. The first is that I think we have an honest to goodness quarterback competition. And I, I have already, we've already ridden the roller coaster ride here when it was announced. So I was at, I, I took my son to a Bucks game, third game of the year this year, went down to Tampa and we were watching the Bucks against the Chargers. And there were some guys sitting behind me that were clearly Florida State fans because they were sitting there. And I was, I was just eavesdropping it and they were talking about, Florida State, and the other guy was like, man, we're going to suck, and he was going on and on and on, and, and I was kind of pricking up, listening to it while watching the Bucks game, and then the guy says, holy shit, and he looks down at his phone, and he sees that McKenzie Milton has announced that he's 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 headed yeah. to Florida State, so he goes from desperation to elation and, in, in a, and almost celebration, right? They're slapping five, oh my god, I can't believe he's coming to Florida State, we got McKenzie Milton, so to some degree, I think we were all like that, right? Like this guy was prolific at UCF and we haven't had good quarterback play since Jameis left. So everybody's like, well, at least we know this guy can put up numbers and has won a lot of football games and has looked, you know, somewhere north of competent, but under center. So, okay, we got a guy now, but I'll be honest. When I started going to spring practices, he was terrible. I mean, awful guys. He wasn't close and Jordan Travis was showing steady improvement. And I thought, well, good for Jordan. But, man, and I'm happy for Jordan. We need that. I mean, if he's going to end up being the guy, he's got to get better as a passer. But I was just shocked at how bad McKenzie Milton looked. And then I had to remind myself, that's quite a process and a lot of rust to shake off while you're also trying to learn a playbook. So the fact that by the time we get to the end of spring, and frankly the last scrimmage all the way up to the spring game itself, McKenzie Milton took massive steps to get on an even playing field with, with Jordan Travis. And I don't mind, TJ, I'll tell you, I think McKenzie Milton's going to win the job. I think he'll win it in the fall. I think that we saw a huge jump here at the end of the spring. Some of those throws were big-time throws. Obviously, I've been told by a few people from UCF or connections to UCF's coaching staff directly in one case – that, that he's a gamer, that when the lights come on, when it's game action, when it's real, he finds another gear. I kind of rolled my eyes at the time because everybody says that when they want something to work. But I think you saw it in the spring game. Like, as soon as it mattered, that kid made big throws, anticipatory throws. He looked much more comfortable within the offense. He got him out of bad plays or got rid of the ball. But I think at the end of the day, no matter who wins the job, and, I again, I, I'll tell you, I think it's going to be McKenzie Milton. I think we're going to need both quarterbacks. And I certainly know we're going to need Jordan Travis in some capacity because he's a playmaker. So both those guys are going to play. And I think we're a better team. Florida State's a better team if they both play. But McKenzie Milton, I think, will be the primary quarterback. Yeah, and I think that would benefit us if we can still use Travis, you know, maybe like probably hopefully more effectively, but kind of like Florida did with Trask and Jones last year mm -hmm. and, and be able to really, you know, kind of rotate them and, Mullen always, I mean, Mullen's like a QB whisperer, but he always did it like weird freaking times. And like, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it was always awkward. So hopefully Norfolk does a better job of it. But uh, yeah, we talked to, we talked about it on, on uh, Sunday as well. Like I think Travis is a better thrower than, than Jones too. So I think that can um, really benefit us. All right. I'll, I'll ask this and I'll pass it back off to Richie, but uh, a lot of guys out uh, in this group, but if, if quarterbacks, the biggest concern around the team, I mean, offensive line is second. So we're, where are your thoughts with uh, 
with what the offensive line will end up shaping like? Are you uh, somewhat confident that we're going to show some improvement here? Or are you kind of just hands up? Or what are your thoughts there? Well, they'll be better than you saw in the spring because obviously they didn't have their full allotment and guys got banged up and other guys came back and had only been practicing for a short time. So I know they'll be better than they were in the spring, and that's a relief because they weren't real good. Um, listen, I, I think this offensive line is showing steady improvement, but they had so far to go. I mean, they were so, so bad that any incremental improvement seems to really stand out, right? You're like, oh, my God, we actually look fairly competent in that moment. But they're a long way from dominating. They're a long way from dictating terms and routinely winning the battle at the line of scrimmage and kind of uh, imposing their will. We really aren't going to see that against the better teams. But I think they can win enough of the 50-50 games or the games where they're of equal talent. I think they've gotten competent. And I also think, again, there's an opportunity for them now that spring's over to maybe reach out and bring in a transfer tackle, which would help them a lot. They're they're better. And Coach Atkins, I like a lot watching him teach, watching him coach. It's a joy because you can really see the players take to it. But until they get better players, period, at that position, you know, they can only get so good. So they got to raise the floor here uh, by bringing in more elite talent. One of the ways you do that is obviously to find some consistency and start to win some games and show areas of progress so that recruits can see, okay, look, they got there. They're turning this thing around. They're moving. They've got, they're upwardly mobile. Uh, but I think that what we have to hope for is that they're good enough to beat. If you think about the ACC Atlantic, all right, Clemson is light years ahead of Florida state, but the rest of that division are games that if you're competent, if you're all pulling in the same direction and if you're healthy and that's a big thing you can never predict, you can beat those teams. You can beat Louisville and Wake Forest, obviously, and NC State. You can beat those teams, and you need to beat those teams because if you if you beat five teams, you know, not named Clemson in the ACC, and then you have those two cupcake games on your schedule, that's the seven wins. There it is. There are your seven wins. God forbid you you know you stumble into a win against Notre Dame or Miami or Florida or something like that. Then then you have a great season, but. Yeah, I think the climb this year gets them to somewhere in the neighborhood of six and six, seven and five. And while no Florida State fan, certainly longstanding Florida State fan, would say seven and five is what we desire to be, you'll take it after seeing us hit rock bottom last year and where we were the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. Some signs that things are moving in the right direction, I think, would really geek a lot of the fan base because we've been bereft of hope, guys, around here. Usually second week into the season, your hands in the sky, just like, well, God damn it, another year has gone down by the trip. So, I mean, you know, I just think anything, that weight game is going to be huge because you have the first game against Notre Dame, which we'll be underdogs in, and I think most people would pick Notre Dame in that game. If, if you lose that game, fine, and then you've got the, the tune-up or whatever it is after that. But the third week, I think, is the Wake Forest game. And if that's that, if you win that game, and the next thing you know, you're two and one, feeling decent about yourself, you know, that changes the complexion of the rest of the season. You lose that game, and I worry that guys who have been beaten down get a, you know, here we go again sort of mentality. So I think it's a big game. I don't often circle the wake game as the big one, but I am right now. <laughs> yeah, and the a lot of the tough games besides that Notre Dame do fall late in the year. Clemson, Miami, Florida, all kind of late. So you could really stack some confidence, stack some wins yeah. up early, yeah, and then – you know, when you get to the end of the year, maybe you, you know, like you said, we should, as Florida State, and I'm not saying this team this year, but as Florida State, we should beat everybody in our division with the exception of Clemson. Like, I'm okay, you know, because, but that just should be the standard. 
and beating Clemson should really be the standard, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like kind of where we are steps, now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then if, if you do that and you win those two games, talk about, then you just need to luck up and upset North Carolina again, or upset Miami, you know, who could be sure. without their starting quarterback or who knows how Florida looks Their Their defense couldn't stop anybody last year. They've got a new quarterback taking over who knows by the end of that year. So, or the Correct. end of this yeah. year. So, you know, obviously Clemson Notre Dame going to be really, really tough, but you could find wins other places. Uh, but yeah, if you, if you lose that wake one early, you know, that snowball just seems to start probably going the wrong direction. You do get, you do get Syracuse. Who's really, really bad this year. I mean, thankfully, but I mean, Louisville wasn't very good last year. So right, right. Um, we, we've got to figure that out. Um, Richie, I cut you off again. I told you to go on the text and then. Follow yeah, up. man, Jeff. So we, we, we talk quarterbacks in the offensive line, but the one defense or I'll just say the whole unit, you know, if there's one coach that has a hot seat going into this year, it's, Adam Fuller, like uh, after last year, people wanted him gone like halfway through the season. Um, I think it's the right move to probably keep him just because of the weird COVID year and all that stuff. But I was pleasantly surprised with the defense in the spring game, you know, outside of that first touchdown that uh, Travis threw, you didn't see any busted coverages. All the big plays were just great throws and passes by Milton and, uh, you know, you had Malik McLean, you had Josh Burrell, you had Brian Robinson j- just making plays, which is what we're used to at Florida State. What were your thoughts on the defense? Because I, I, w- I came away far more encouraged with that side of ball than I thought I would from someone just watching the spring game on his couch. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Listen, I've been critical at times of Adam Fuller. I did get a sense, and it was good to talk to Coach Fuller, you know, that's a guy that doesn't shy away. He'll answer questions. He knows they were bad last year on defense. But I will say, if you look around, and TJ just mentioned it, Florida couldn't get stops on defense last year. You know, LSU at the beginning of the year gave up like a 1,000 points in three games. I think it was a weird year to try to coach defense. Defense, you're triggering downhill, being very, very physical, hands-on approach. You're trying to install something that, uh, you know, obviously they haven't heard come from you. You haven't gotten to know your personnel. You miss all of spring. You're a first-year guy. Then your best players, the guys that you're going to build this defense around, Marvin Wilson, uh, Corey Durden, Corey those guys didn't play well. There's no other way to say it. You can't sugarcoat it. They didn't play well. And, and, and so early on, your two most dominant players up front that you thought you could build around didn't play well. You didn't have a pass rush to speak of. And I think things begin to spiral. You're trying to teach defense via Zoom. That's not going to work. You need to be full speed. You need to be now. It has to be sudden. And I think you learn that way. They really had to kind of walk on eggshells last year. Think about it. They 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 had low numbers. You had opt-outs. You had kids who were not exactly happy with the situation. You had some injuries. And now if you ride them the way that usually defensive coaches do, and you get on guys and you're aggressively coaching them, who knows if they don't say peace? I mean, a lot of people might have just said, no, thanks. So I think they were trying to get in as many games as they possibly could to make as much money as they possibly could. I do look at that year as a year of zero. Now, it did cause all of us to say two fingers to my eyes, two fingers back to you, Adam. Yeah. We're going to need to see something. But already you see growth there. Those kids fought through blocks to make plays out on the perimeter. I thought the secondary looked better. I think Jermaine Johnson is going to provide a legitimate pass rush. It's the first guy in a long time that looks the part for us. By the way, that's a, an interesting kid. I had a good conversation with him about why he transferred from Georgia to Florida State. You know, that guy on day one of spring practice, when he came walking out before they went into the indoor practice facility, before stepping out on the practice fields, I said, who the hell is that guy? He looks like he could have played in 2013 because we have some guys now whose body types don't match up for what Florida State normally is. His does. 
And then I realized number 11 was the transfer from Georgia. And it makes sense that he could walk into any locker room and he looks the part, right? He could walk into Alabama's locker room, Clemson's locker room, and you, you wouldn't ask questions. He stood out and he seems like a, a natural leader. He's a smart kid. He's contemplative. He's interesting. They've got some real leaders on this team. So they got a chance to be worlds better on defense. They have to be. They cannot be anything close to what we saw a year ago, which was really kind of non-existent. Yeah, and uh, I was going to ask about Jermaine Johnson, but let's be honest. It, people listening to this, they listen to every Florida State podcast. They're subscribed to 247 Watch and all that stuff. We know that. What doesn't get enough love that I love about your show, Jeff, is the basketball team. So I, I, I want to talk about them a little bit. Man, yeah. I, I love the the conductor Cameron, especially when you get into February <laughs> and March. You know, nothing better. You know, obviously Raekwon Gray decides to, you know, go pro. And, and I don't think anybody was surprised by that. Balsa surprised some people, but not many if you really followed along with what's going on. But I think this was more of a transition year than anything. And people, especially Florida State fans that are just casual watchers, they lose sight of that because they forget last year was supposed to be our year, right? So I, I'm very happy with the Sweet 16. Michigan was a better team. No, nobody. We were going to beat them. You know, we play them ten times. We we might win uh, two of them. But next year, we, we could have a loaded roster. And I keep checking my phone because there's a, a five star from IMG that could pop at any minute right now uh, with Balsa yeah, leading. Yeah. But I mean, just Leonard Hamilton, what he's done at Florida State is amazing. And we'll have a true point guard in Caleb Mills next year, which we did not have this. Uh, past season mm -hmm. just what are your expectations for florida state's basketball team next year because i'm thinking sweet 16 minimum again obviously tournament you never know it gets crazy but i mean a four seed at worst right so here's the in that like kind of if you say that again out loud and we all sit there and parse that you realize just how far the programs come to where yes. if they don't go to a sweet 16 we're going to be <laughs> pissed yeah. like that's that's what he's done now and you know Coach Hamilton's one of my favorite people in the world, let alone one of my favorite coaches on the Florida State campus. But I, I would tell you that, man, he all, he risked it all at a late stage of his career to get to where we are now, and that he went away from a winning formula. They were dominating with defense. He would recruit length. The games were ugly, but all people care about is winning. And so they would win 50 to 43, and we'd all kind of yawn. And the next thing you know, you know, we beat Texas A&M and the – NCAA tournament, we're on to the Sweet 16, and everybody gets excited. Well, he starts to go away from that, and then he swung and missed on a lot of high-profile, uh, skilled basketball players. And, I, I mean, I think they thought they were going to get some guys that they didn't get, and they ended up having to settle on some other guys. And so they went through this stretch where, obviously, he's losing games and they're not getting to the tournament. And people look around, and it's, it's made all the more maddening at that time because Florida's having success and other programs that – our football schools are having success and people are getting upset. And at the last moment, he gets a yes from Jonathan Isaac, which really I think saved his career here at Florida State because I think the administration was looking very carefully at maybe making a change. But then they thought, okay, well, we got this five-star kid coming in and Isaac, you know, let's let's give him another chance. And they make the tournament and then, you know, you go on from there and Bacon and Beasley and all these guys to right up to what we see now. And you bring up a good point. It's so devastating to realize that they didn't get their chance a year ago. But Coach Ham, when you ask him about it, will not wallow in it. I'm sure privately it bothers him to no end, mainly for the kids, because that was a really good team and they were a really deep team. And I think they would have made a hell of a run. They had a chance to certainly be a Final Four team. This team was a little bit more flawed. It was another weird year because of COVID. 
But they didn't – you know, one of the things you really saw stand out, you look at Baylor winning the national championship game, but even if you're looking at the Michigan game, you look at the backcourt and the, and the ability of point guards, two guards to beat you off the bounce and create a look and knock down shots, the ability to get to the basket and kick out. Once MJ Walker got hurt, he stopped doing that. He just became a spot-up shooter. Even Scotty Barnes, who I love physically, was not prepared to be a point guard. I know we helped him out for his NBA career by giving him that opportunity, but he wasn't beating anybody off the dribble. If you can't create that kind of space and create shots for yourself and teams don't have to respect that out on the perimeter, that's a problem. So hopefully by getting a true point guard in and really guys, basketball right now in college is all about what you get in the transfer market. Everybody that started for Baylor in that national championship team transferred in. Those were not guys that they went out and got. Those are guys that transferred in from somewhere else. So you're right to keep an eye on the ticker right now because I have a feeling with Raekwon Gray deciding to go, uh, obviously, you find out about Balsa this week. I wasn't that surprised. A lot of people love his body type, the fact that he can stretch out and shoot. Maybe he's a stretch four, maybe he's not. We'll see. But an NBA team will take a chance on him. You got you to get a couple kids in here. It should be interesting to see. Ham's really good in that they've made connections. And Florida State, that's another area where this program has come so far. You know, go back eons ago uh, into the 90s, early 90s. Uh, they, had, they had a great run. You know, I used to go to those games and, and watch Bob Sura and Charlie Ward and all those guys, and Rodney Dobards and Doug Edwards. I loved it. It was amazing. And then there was the long, long drought. The reason I bring all that up is in those days, we had real expectations. Uh, then that went by the wayside. They were getting yeses from really top caliber players. Florida State now has their hand in the cookie jar on everybody. Like you could be the number one recruit in the country the way Edwards was two years ago. And it comes down to us and one other team. He ends up going to Georgia. It's a relationship thing. But it's amazing. Like you're talking about the best players that are considering Duke and Kentucky and UCLA and Kansas and North Carolina and all these schools. And then you look at that list these days, Florida State, Florida State, Florida State. It's amazing to be a part of that blue blood community to where now people look at, obviously, I know it's the new bloods, but they now all look at Florida State as a destination, a place you can go and go to the NBA, be seen, and win a lot of games. Yeah, and, and to your point, so the the, the five-star I mentioned before this, you know, Efton Reed, he plays mm-hmm. IMG Academy. He's the number 23 player in the country, number three center, five-star composite by 24-7. And he's the guy Florida State and Leonard Hamilton were on early, and they kind of backed off. Like, we have too many bigs. We don't need yeah. them. And then Balsa, you know, says, hey, I'm, I'm going pro. And then him, what I'm thinking, makes the call and says, hey, the spot opened up. And now he's like, oh, all right, well, do I want to go to Florida State? After they essentially said, we love you, but we don't have room. That's right. wild that Leonard Hamilton has this program at a point where he can tell a five-star center – Hold off. We'll let you know. Okay, yeah. now we want you, no, no. And, and now yeah. he's considering so, it. Like that's yeah. wild it's, to me. It's, it's the same in effect, right? Like <laughs> we, don't room, we don't have room for these blue chips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're a five star receiver, and we love you, but you're just not up to stuff with our other five star receivers. I'm going to need you to wait a while. Oh, yeah. look at this! One of them decided to leave early. Come on down, and you're not yeah. even offended. Yeah, yeah. I'm on my way. Pitt and Virginia got to be like Pitt and Virginia, who are also in this final in LSU. They'd be like, what the hell, man? This is like Bobby Bowden in the 90s. Like, he, he wasn't on this kid until the week before signing day. And now Bobby sure. Bowden shows up and, ah, I got something to think about. 
It's it's cool, and and I got to imagine, you know, Ham. When you talk with Ham, if you're in his presence, if you're across from him, and you listen to him talk about building young men and and, and making sure they get their degrees, all this stuff is very Bobby Bowden esque. By the way, he's a father figure to these guys. He does care deeply. It's evident when you talk to them. You can see it. It's in his eyes. It's not bullshit. And so I think that's how I, that guy goes sweeping into a living room or talks to a parent. They know it's real, and he's proven it. He's shown it. Um, I mean, some of the, the best moments I've ever seen from Leonard Hamilton is you get him talking about a player. I remember one time he was talking about Derwin Kitchen and, and the plight that that young man had to go through just to finish up at Florida State and get his degree. Ham is getting watery-eyed, man, talking about what that kid achieves. He, he really does believe in education and cares, but they're also winning games, so you get the best of both worlds because it's, it's great to, to care about education. If you're losing 25 games a year, you can take that somewhere else. The right. fact is we, want, we need people to win. He does both. Those kids do get you know, their degrees. They come back and get their degrees. He follows up with them. They also excel on the basketball court, win a conference championship, finish in the top four each year of the ACC, go to the NCAA tournament, and routinely find themselves in the Sweet 16. Yeah, and I'm going to cut TG off, but uh, just one more moment, then I'll get back to him. But one of my favorite moments from Florida State basketball happened a few years ago. Brian Angola, his mother flying oh, in to yeah, the game. Yeah. For, yeah. And he had no idea, and he's in tears. And you know, yeah. Hamilton had his fingerprints all over that. Sure. That's why he is, he's probably my second favorite Florida State coach, regardless of sport ever, behind Bobby Bowden. Because of things like that, man, he, you know, he truly cares. He does. No, I, I, I tell people all the time, people ask me, you know, what's this coach like? What's that coach like? When it gets to Coach Hamilton, I light up. I say, how much time do you have? Guy's great. Um, We've had, Mike Martin Jr. on a couple of times. I got to go to a baseball game a few weeks ago. They've had some ups and downs, kind of <laughs> really, really hot weekend where they blew the pants off of the uh, in-state rivals, dropped a tough one on Tuesday night that they really should have won with all the Pick errors. The and, yeah, and, and things that they had. But um, you know, when they're good, they're really, really good. And when they lose, a lot of times it's it's losing really close, you know. So I don't I'm not much for the moral victories, but they went on the road and played Louisville really, really tough. Um, quickly, I know, I know we've kept you a while and we'll wrap up here in a minute, but like, what are your, uh, what are your, what are your thoughts, expectations on what this baseball team could end up doing? Well, they can really pitch. So you're going to always give them an opportunity. Um, you know, they've been an average team defensively the other night, notwithstanding that was an embarrassment, uh, in terms of picking up the ball. And, uh, you know, you see some moments where you just, you roll your eyes, but they can really pitch. They've got a lot of arms and I know the record isn't, blowing anybody away, but they've played a really good schedule. The ACC is very good this year, and you're playing primarily an ACC schedule, and uh, obviously you're going to have your ups and downs when that happens. I've said for years, guys, that I don't care. I mean, look, it's nice to have had all those years where you win 40-plus games, and it's something for the record books. But I really feel like I there are there have been years where I thought it, I'd rather see a team that's closer to 500 because they're playing elite competition – and when you're playing elite competition, you're going to see great arm after great arm after great arm. And you may lose a series. You may get swept. You may go on a stretch where you lose five straight. And people, fans from a, from outside will go up in arms if that happens, and, and they get frustrated. But I think at the end of the day, all that does is prepare you for the postseason now where you've seen everything that anybody can throw at you. There's not going to be any better than that arm we saw in the middle of the year that's going to be a top five pick. There's nobody out of the bullpen, and that kid we saw in the series against, and you name the team, usually it's been Florida lately, but because we've seen these arms. 
and we've held our own. We went 500 against those teams. Or in Florida State's case, they're above 500 against these top 25 teams. Their run differential is plus big time against the best teams on their schedule. So I don't worry about the record at the end of the day so long as it's not so bad that they don't make the postseason. They're going to make the postseason. Um, I think this will be a tough team in any series that they play in the postseason because they will have seen great arms, great competition, and they can really pitch. The bats, they come and go, but they can pitch. Um, I'm going to ask you this, and then I'll let Richie finish up with whatever he's got. We had you on the big three roll-up a couple of years ago. This isn't what I'm going to ask, but we had you on the big three roll-up a couple of years ago um, and really asked – we didn't go so deep into the – like the X's and O's of Florida State. We talked more about like your history, getting into radio and all that stuff, which was, I don't know, maybe a different interview than you usually do, but it was probably my favorite thing that I've ever heard of you. Like, well, I asked you about this. Besides that like 2013 lead up to Clemson thing that you did that like gets played every year, like on YouTube and stuff. <laughs> but it was cool to like, I mean, I, I enjoy your FSU takes. Everybody in, in the Seminole community does. Um, I don't know about that, everybody, TJ. <laughs> a lot of people, yeah, <laughs> we take that back. A lot of people enjoy it, but I really enjoyed so, – so if you – I don't even remember when that was, but if you search Jeff Cameron and Big Three Roll Up, it, it comes up. We really went into like Jeff's history and getting into radio, what started you out in Tallahassee, and that was really, really cool to kind of hear that behind the scenes. I'm, I have to drive tomorrow. I'm probably going to listen to it because now that I think about it again, I'm like, man, that was really, really neat. Um, You're going to make me listen to it, TJ. I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> it was good. Whatever it was, it was good. Um, but uh, so we'll say that for another time. But my my wrap up here is you talked about the Bucks. I know you're a Bucks fan. It was cool to see um, them win. A little bittersweet though, because I'm I mean I'm the biggest Jameis Homer that that there ever was, and and would have obviously loved for him to be there. But um, totally off the wall, and I don't know how often you answer this, but give me your thoughts on uh, on Jameis in New Orleans and his career going forward. Um, because I'm like I said, I'm the biggest homer ever. So I, I just need the good news and the the your take yeah, on it. I wanted him to leave the division, um, because I think very highly of him, and I am a diehard Bucks fan. Grew up down there, going to games. I went to the old sombrero with my dad and watched them lose all the time, and so it's exciting for me to get to see them win a second Super Bowl and you know to 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 kind of be the bell of the ball, but. I, you know, it's interesting. I think we've learned a lot about Jameis Winston in the last few years and not all of it is good. And I'm not talking about any, any off the field speculation or controversies or anything like that. I'm talking about the player Jameis. And I know Jameis pretty well. And I know, I know Aunt Nora, his father really well. Jameis cares deeply and you won't find somebody who works harder. And we've seen when Jameis is good, he's really good, like all-world good, top five quarterback in the league good for stretches at a time. And when he's bad, he can be really bad. He can be he, – he can really force the issue and create problems for himself. But I think what we learned and, – and, and I have no way of gauging this now because I'm not in New Orleans covering him and I don't talk to him as much as I once did – you know, I the sense I got in Tampa was that he wasn't a great leader. He worked hard. He showed up. He was there before anybody else and was the last to leave. He certainly had his bright moments. You can't throw for over 5,000 yards and 30-plus touchdowns in a season and suck. So, obviously, the top-end version of Jameis is productive. But I don't know that guys followed him into battle. I don't know that guys trusted him and believed in him. And some of that could have been – 
uh, where he, he lost the trust in the locker room with some immature antics early on, maybe. I don't know. I mean, these are grown-ass men providing for their families, 38 years old in some cases, 35 years old. Maybe it doesn't play when you're, you know, eating a W. I mean, things like that. Like I, So things like – I don't know if that always resonated with guys. Yeah. But I think he learned a lot. He certainly – I don't know if you saw the interview recently, TJ, where he got choked up talking about him and Drew Brees and what Drew Brees meant to him. Um, Jameis was doing an interview, and, he, and the person asked him a question about what did it mean for Drew Brees at the end of that game to come over to him and, and put his arm around him, almost like he was passing the torch, and, and really talk to him. And he got choked up because he talked about how much he admired Drew Brees and that he learned a lot from Drew Brees. My guess is he didn't learn a lot of football from Drew Brees. He already knows that. He already knows football. He's got to dial it back some. And he's got Sean Payton, who's a great offensive mind. He knows the football. I think he learned how to lead. I think he learned perhaps how to relate and connect to his guys. I hope he did. But I also hope it leads him to, say, Denver after this next year or something like that. I, I, don't, I don't want to see the best version of Jameis in this division because that version is an all-pro. That version is going to beat my team a lot. But I always wish Jameis well. I think he's a little misunderstood. Um, I think he's a lot misunderstood. Uh, and I also think he's one of the best players that I've ever seen in person. Uh, he's always been nothing but professional and kind. Um, he, he was really nice one time to, to my oldest son. Uh, he's never forgotten it. We were in the, in the locker room for a baseball game, an exhibition game when the Yankees and, and Knowles played down in Tampa at Legends no. Field. And, I, I, you know, I tell that story sometimes, but that's who he is, man. He talks to kids for days. He goes around and tries to make the last guy on the bench feel good about himself. You know, when he was with the baseball team at FSU, all the bullpen catchers, guys that would never get in the game, he'd sit with them on the bus. He'd hang out with them like he is that dude. So, I don't know. I just think he had to mature a little bit in, in, in a professional setting, in an NFL locker room, and maybe he'll get guys to to, to come along for the ride. I, I just – that's the sense I get. Yeah, we had uh... – we had again. We had meet on, and when I asked him uh, what Jameis was like, he just said he was the best. Like in everything he did, like I don't have anything else to say. He yep. was the best, you know. From TJ, from if you guy- ask any coach, you ask yeah. any coach, and you ask any of of his teammates here, they all they can't stop talking about how great he was. Yeah, that t- uh, says a lot. Yeah. So, so sure. two two quick things, Jeff. First of all, that I saw the interview you were talking about when the Jameis was talking about. Drew Brees and what that meant to him. So my wife is from New Orleans and she's a mm. diehard Saints fan. We go to the Buck Saints and Raymond James every year. And I showed her that interview and she was tearing up. She's like, <laughs> I'm ready for him to be my quarterback now. After yeah. like hating it. And she's a Bama fan. We won't go there. Oh, but no. but no, that no. that that was something. And I, I'm with you. I, I hope he has a great year. I, I hope the Saints go 14 and two with two losses to the Bucks, and then we beat him again in the playoffs. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but the other thing I want to talk about real quick, and I'm a little upset about this. So I have the Sirius XM app and I try to find the beyond the tips on demand and it's never on there. And I know that's mm. your golf show on Sirius XM. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, so I don't know why it's not on there. Let me pull, I have the Sirius XM app too. I'm gonna pull it up right now. Let's see if we can. Yeah, by the way, there you go. There's my screen. I love it. <laughs> the old cream. I've heard that we might be able to wear the cream sickles this year. Yeah, like, I think we're going to break right? out the cream sickles this year. Uh, and why, why, why you're ch- why you're looking that up for me? I do want to ask about you know Florida State great, who I know gets on your nerves a little bit sometimes. Rooks Kepka. Um, <laughs> but one of the coolest things I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you do because you're plugged in it with everyone at Florida State. 
But when we had meat on the podcast, you know, it was a, I think there was a golf tournament going on and I asked about Brooks Gepka. He's like, let me tell you something about Brooks Gepka. He used to come out to practice and take batting practice. It would just rip balls all over the field. Did you know Brooks had it like that with a baseball bat? My man, I found it. It's right there. All right. I, I need to get that because I, I was error. looking for it today. I, I wanted error. to hear you. I want to hear you and Trey Jones recap of the Masters. It wasn't a great finish, but there's a little drama. But yeah, yeah, man. And, and Brooks, Brooks in the batting cages, too. Yeah, we're talking to Jerry Haas. Uh, we talked to him last night. He's great. Um, the Haas family has done a ton in golf. Jerry Haas is the head coach at Wake Forest. He's Will Zalatoris' coach. So it was really kind of fun to oh, get you know, happy yeah, yeah, caddy. Great. All right. Yeah, he, he's awesome. Yeah, I did know Brooks could play. Brooks is an athlete, man, and and he's a really good athlete. I didn't know that he'd come to the batting cages and just yoke, but it doesn't surprise me, man. It's eye-hand coordination. He's a big, strong guy. He's athletic. Comes from an athletic family. Um, yeah, he, he he he'll tell you about his baseball prowess too. So yeah, yeah, um, he's not, Yeah, I see. Well, he's not bashful. So um, you know, that's not the part that bothers me at times about Brooks. There are other things yeah. he does where I'm like, come on, Brooks. But listen, he's a Noel, and I root for him. And he's obviously, I mean, the man's won four majors, so uh, he's he's an all time great. But yeah, I didn't know that he'd go out to the cages. That's kind of cool. The ancillary benefit, right, of being an elite athlete on Florida State's campus is like. If you fancy yourself anything, basketball, maybe you're a football player who wanted to play basketball, basketball player who wanted to play whatever. All those coaches are like, come on, let's go. You get to go out there with <laughs> sure. those guys all the time, man. That's got to be so cool. Random um, story. We're not going to talk about it. Just look it up. There was a homeless guy in South Car- or Southern California in L.A. that somehow worked his way into USC's dorm rooms, um, got to the training table, got issued a practice jersey in a security personnel Caught him fielding punts during a practice. So just look that up. Just a Badass. random thought. Yeah. yeah, just look at like a random homeless guy ended up fielding punts at USC's practice. And the security <laughs> guy's like, I know number 87 and he's 6'4. This guy's 5'10. That's not right. Dude, that's still that's <laughs> dedication to the process, man. All yeah. in. He was going to make that. He got a team issued jersey. So again, we're not going to go into that because we, we, we've awesome. taken up enough of your time. But thank you so much, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for hanging out, man. It's always so much fun when we get you on here and, and can chat with you. But um, thanks so much. Tell us about, I mean, I, I think most people listening and watching know, but we've had a lot of a lot of people on here tonight, a lot of comments, a lot of um, different things, a lot of excitement. But uh, where can people find your radio show, your golf show, just everything you do, man? Where, where can they find it? Sirius XM PGA Tour channel, uh, since Richie brought that up most recently, is uh, on your Sirius XM dial there. It's 92 or 208. Uh, both those channels, you can find that on demand there. Use the app, whatever it might be. That's Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock when we go live. That's me and Trey Jones, the head golf coach at Florida State. Get a lot of guests. We talk PGA Tour. We talk college golf as well. Fun show to do. Occasionally, I'll fill in on ESPNU. That's channel 84 uh, on Sirius XM. Not frequently. I do some guest hosting there, here and there, or as a, a you know an interview or a guest or something along those lines. And then my everyday job, the everyday job that I've been doing for t- over 20 years now, is 3 to 6 p.m., 97.9 ESPN Tallahassee. Uh, you can stream that from the website, or you can find it. We put it up on Apple Podcasts. We put it up really wherever you get podcasts. So uh, it's also on YouTube. If you just type in ESPN Tallahassee, you'll see the YouTube feed, and you can watch us do the show if, if that was your cup of tea. So lots of ways to access, and I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to say that. But moreover, I enjoyed the conversation. This was great. Yeah, man, we we really appreciate it. appreciate your time. Like I said, I think about the guys that 
that tell the story of, of Florida State, man. Like think about Gene on on game days and you the rest of the week. So well, if, it's it's a flattering to be mentioned alongside that guy. I'll say that. Yeah. So we'll uh we're excited to get up there Labor Day weekend. We'll uh So let's I'll, have a beer. I was gonna say gut box on me and Richie will buy the alcohol. So <laughs> <It'll> be fun. <laughs> be Thanks, good, buddy. Guys. Have yeah, a good sure one. I really appreciate it. Be good, everybody. Sure. Jeff Cameron, ESP in Tallahassee. He is awesome. I didn't tell him this interview was going to be about an hour. I didn't think it'd be about an hour. What did you say, um, like 10, 15 minutes? <laughs> he always took him with like, I don't even think I told him a time. I think I just, I mean, because we probably did that with the big three roll-up, so he probably knew that like I was full yeah. of crap. Um, I think we usually say something like, hey, man, we'll we'll take up, you know, 15, 20 minutes of your, few minutes of your time or whatever. We Richie and I had talked about. It. I had told my wife that this was going to be a you know uh, it's gonna be 20, 30 minutes. I told my wife the same. Man, when, <laughs> when he gets rolling though, like he's he's excellent. He's absolutely fantastic. He's one of the best yeah. interviews we've ever had. Um, he talks for a living, so it's not shocking that he's a great interview. But um, he's really really fantastic. But um, but man, you what don't a, make it twenty plus years in one market without being outstanding at what you do. So yeah. like Jeff, he's a legend. I remember listening to him when I was in college, you know, 2006 to 2010, when he was on uh, Fox sports radio back then. Uh, now he's on to the mothership and that was super cool for me because I just, I listened to Jeff Cameron every day, three to six, we'd pull it up and to be able to interview him was pretty awesome. Yeah, no, he's, he, I've, I listened to and was on his interview when he was on the big three roll up. Um, I actually, I don't know where you were. I'm actually the one that recorded it when he was on with Trey. Um, I, you must, I think he had to do daytime. It was, it was like you, 10 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, I'm like, it damn was, it, Trey, I it need a night day, one because I can't it was do daytime. Um, so I did that one and I never get tired of hearing him talk. He's got great, obviously, FSU insight being so close, uh, yeah. with the program for so long, but then just talking to him and, uh, kicking it is is a lot of fun too so we will be back on sunday night for our regularly scheduled program sometime between seven and eight o'clock may have a guest may not um but have some fun things in store the next couple of weeks um trying to stay as relevant for you guys as we can thank you we had a lot of live viewers tonight so thank you if you were tuned in live to watch this um i know that jeff's the one that brought him in but hopefully you guys enjoyed it and will stay uh, we have a good time. We do a show every Sunday night. If this is your first time watching on uh, YouTube, Periscope, well, Twitter now, and Facebook Live, we do a show for about a, 45 minutes an hour every Sunday night. Uh, we haven't missed one yet since we started in uh, in August. So it's been a lot of fun. Every once in a while, we'll have an interview like this. We'll pop up and be able to do it. So Jeff had time tonight. It was kind of relevant with FSU spring wrapping up, so we decided to get him on, and I'm glad we did. Had a great time. Uh, Richie, do you have any any shout-outs or any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, no, nothing. Shout-out Jeff Cameron, man. Like I said, always been a fan for him to take an hour out of his night right when we get right when he got home after doing a three-hour radio show to hop on and do hour with us. That's awesome. Like Jeff Cameron, Florida State legend. Awesome. Yeah, no, Jeff was good. He gets my shout-out as well. So shout-out to Jeff. Check out his radio show. I mean, he's great. Also, um, check out – Go search – I'll even find out exactly what it is. But if you YouTube Jeff Cameron, FSU Clemson, um, the coolest little montage. It's the first one that comes up. Florida State versus Clemson 2013 featuring Jeff Cameron. Um, the coolest montage ever. 
comes up. It's four minutes, and it's Jeff talking about uh, what Florida State would need to do to win that game. And uh, then it it's intertwined with highlights of exactly I'll, what PJ, Jeff said happened. PJ, I'll so, do you one better. In lieu of a song for this episode, just play the montage. We'll play that montage. Go watch it. It's incredible. You'll want to see it lined up with exactly the highlights. What talking about. Yep. Um, but I'll play it as we uh, as we get out of here because that's the coolest thing I've ever heard heard Jeff do on radio. So, um, all right, and that's all we got. We'll see you guys on Sunday night. Thanks for hanging out. Go Knowles. This is why you hope to be relevant because you play in games like this that bring about this kind of energy that uh, elicit from you that kind of nervous energy that you'll have all week long. Coming off a win against LSU. Then they beat Georgia in that first game. And this was truly going to be Clemson's year, right? Sammy Watkins, Taj Boyd, that game at Clemson. Hard place to go and win. Is this a game that you believe Florida State is going to go and win if you're a Florida State fan? Or are you just excited, hey, to be in a battle, two top five teams, the whole nation watching, great game, good times, great to be back to that level of play. We've played our way. Jameis has played his way into the minds of many that thought there was no way we would go on the road this year, win that game against a senior quarterback like Taj Boyd. Look, I came into the season talking about Taj Boyd because I love him. I mean, I really like Taj Boyd a lot. There's a lot to like about him. If you listen to him talk, if you read his quotes, if you watch him lead, if you saw the improvement from the first game he started to where he is now, I mean, he's really come a long way. He's the kind of college football story that you can get behind root for. But all of a sudden, we get to this point of the season, the one that we were targeting, and I'm not so sure Jameis Winston just isn't the best quarterback in the country, let alone better than Taj Boyd. And people hear that, especially from outsiders. People hear that, you know, at Clemson, they hear that across the country, and they say, look here, Homer, you've lost your mind. Just go look at those numbers. Go watch the video, man. Go watch that kid play. He does silly things. And I'm talking about not just physically. It's the mind, man. It's the mind. He's wicked smart. That's what gives you the hope that you can go on the road and win a game like this. That he could handle those environments. Clemson's going to score, folks. I mean, they've got too much talent. They score against everybody. They're going to score here. They're going to make a few plays. That's why they're a top five team. It's why they beat Georgia. They're a good football team. You can handle that. We're a good football team. So you come right back and make a play after they do. Listen, after the Boston College game, I went on these airwaves and said repeatedly, that is not a glimpse of what's to come. That is not. That game, those numbers, that offense, that does not portend of things to come. And it didn't. We turned around and shut out Maryland. I think we're better on defense than people thought. I think we're better on defense than Clemson thinks. The brutally honest Florida State fans will tell you, yeah, this game could go either way. But Clemson at home with a senior quarterback at night, I think they get by. A lot of Florida State fans are probably of the mindset, we'll have a chance, it'll be close, fourth quarter, they'll probably get it done. Does Jameis take yet another huge leap forward? I'll tell you what, he wins this game. He goes up there, outplays Taj Boyd in their place, in that environment with a nation watching, with all that's on the line. If he's making play after play after play, if he's checking us into right protections, time and again negating Clemson's pressure off the edge, making the big throws, throwing guys open, scoring points when you have to have them to silence the crowd, 
capitalizing in the red zone, spinning out of pressure. If he's doing all the stuff he's done up to this point, he does it there in that moment in time, he'll never go into another game while he's here thinking we can't win. Okay, if we're gonna do it, then 